Good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all again. And I just want to express a word of appreciation for our worship team. Don't they do a great job leading music and leading our hearts before the Lord? Appreciate all of them. Thank you for being here today. Please take your Bible or open up your Bible app on your phone to 2 Timothy chapter 2. That's the passage we're going to be looking at today. A guy rolled over on his bed on a Sunday morning and his wife said, you should get up so we can go to church. And he groaned and he said, I don't feel like going to church today. And his wife said, why not? And he said, well, two reasons. One, I'm tired. And two, I don't really like those people at church very much. And I don't think they like me much either. And his wife replied, well, I'll give you two reasons why you still should go. Number one, God wants you there. And number two, you're the preacher. (laughs) Well, maybe you can relate to that guy. I can. I mean, some days I feel like a Rams fan on the day after the Super Bowl. Some days I feel like the road of my life is filled with potholes. And they are deep and nobody's fixing them. We all have times when we are tired and we feel like giving up. Maybe right now you're in that place yourself. Maybe you are tired of being responsible for everything. Maybe you're tired of not having any control over your circumstances. Maybe you're tired of being the strong one. Maybe you're tired of being the weak one. Maybe you're tired of being ignored. Maybe you're tired of having to be the center of attention. You know, the Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, not to grow weary in doing good. That's an interesting thought. Don't grow weary in well-doing, the Bible says. That means you can sometimes get tired or you're tempted to get tired even when you're doing the right thing. And still you feel worn out and you almost feel like giving up. Maybe you're a mother of preschoolers and you love your kids more than life itself, but every day is absolutely exhausting. Maybe you're fighting cancer and you face yet another round of chemo. Maybe you're tired of your job and every time you turn around, it's Monday morning again. Maybe you're doing your best in school, but graduation just seems really far away. Maybe you're a widow or a widower and you miss your husband or your wife so very much. Maybe you're a caregiver taking care of a loved one, but there's no recovery in sight. Let me tell you, folks, some things are worth persevering through. The Apostle Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, here is a trustworthy saying. You can really count on this. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he can't disown himself. I love the part where it says that even if we struggle with our faith, he's faithful. He's going to continue to be constant. And I love that part where the Apostle Paul says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we endure, victory comes to those who endure, who persevere, who hang in there and don't quit. Now, to be clear, if you're doing something destructive, it's good to quit. (laughs) I mean, quit gossiping, quit neglecting your spouse, quit overeating, quit using pornography, quit using the Lord's name in vain. 
But if you were trying to do something positive, if you were trying to build a lasting marriage or a meaningful career or a faithful ministry for God, do not quit. What I want to talk to you today about is persevering, persevering. I love this quote from H. Jackson Brown. He said, in the confrontation between the stream and the rock, the stream always wins. Not through strength, but by perseverance. It's true. Even a small stream can cut its way through the hardest rock if it just keeps persisting. Here's another quote that I like. Someone else said, triumph is just oomph added to try. I like that. You try, but then add some oomph to it. Jesus told the Heavenly Father in John 17, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That's perseverance. I keep that verse of scripture typed out and taped to the bottom of my computer screen so I look at it every day because I remember that the Lord is calling me to complete and continue the work he's called me to do. I want to persevere until that's done. A reporter once asked Thomas Edison, how did it feel to fail a thousand times? And Edison replied, I didn't fail a thousand times. The light bulb was an invention with a thousand steps. That's a good way to look at it. That's perseverance. There's a Danish proverb that says, he who would leap high must make a long run. If you're going to accomplish a lot in your life, you have to persevere and make a long run. Now, do you know anybody in your life who's had to make a long run and really persevere over time in serving the Lord? A few weeks ago, my wife Candy and I had the privilege of attending the memorial service, the funeral for a friend of mine named Harvey Bream. He died at the age of 95. At the funeral service, they told things that were very inspiring and some that were amusing about Harvey. And one of the things I learned was that the Lord called him to ministry when he was in his 20s. And at the age of 95, he was still serving part-time on the staff of a Christian church here in Indiana, Bright Christian Church. He was still being paid part-time to work for them at the age of 95. And the week before he died, knowing that his days were numbered, the senior minister of the church came with great respect to give Harvey his final paycheck. And when he handed the check to Harvey, Harvey said, no, I resign. (laughs) He said, I've got a better offer. And he knew going to be with the Lord was better even than serving him here on this earth. He served the Lord for over 70 years in the ministry. I'd say that's perseverance. Just a month or two ago, on the day after Christmas, there was a 33-year-old endurance athlete named Colin O'Brady who became the first person to cross Antarctica on foot, alone, by himself, unassisted. He walked and used a bobsled 932 miles across Antarctica. It took him 54 days, and most of the trip was uphill. I'd say that's perseverance. Well, what about you? What is it that makes you feel like quitting, and when you feel that way, how do you keep going? Well, let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and see what the Apostle Paul tells us about perseverance. First of all, we persevere by grace, by grace. That's the undeserved favor and blessing of God. If you just try to do it in your own strength, you run out of gas real soon. So that's why Paul says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, as he talks to this young man, Timothy, he says in verse 1, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's how you can be strong, Timothy. That's how you can be strong, Christian. 
in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. God's grace gives us the oomph that we can't conjure up on our own. I've always been amazed to see how people, by the grace of God, accomplish things that just seem really unimaginable. When I was a young minister working with a church that we had planted in New York, I was amazed at the strength of some of the people that I saw in my church. These were new Christians, most of them. There was a woman and her widowed mother who always arrived at the church building early on Sunday morning. We gave them keys to the building. They made sure the heat was on, the lights were on. They would prepare communion for the congregation. And I couldn't get there ahead of them. They were always there on Sunday morning. If I came early, they were still there earlier than I was. And then I found out as I got to know these ladies better that both of them faced severe health problems and day after day, it was a real struggle for them. What was it that made them get up early on Sunday morning? What motivated them to come and serve a bunch of other people? It was the grace of God in Christ Jesus. My friend Russ Blowers was the senior minister at East 91st Street Christian Church on the northeast side of Indy for more than four decades. He was a powerful preacher, a loving shepherd. But one of the things I admired most about Russ was not what he did on stage, but the daily care he provided for his wife, Marion, in the later years of her life when she was struggling with Alzheimer's. To watch him gently feed her, sing to her, pray for her, hug her, bless her. What motivates a person to persevere like that? It was the grace of God. The Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to Timothy was a guy who had a thorn in the flesh that wouldn't go away. We don't know what it was, and I'm glad that the Bible doesn't tell us what Paul's thorn in the flesh was because that way we can all relate to it. But he had something that was painful and persistent and hard for him to deal with, and three times he asked God to remove it, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength will be perfected in your weakness. And so Paul understood what it was like to hurt, but he persevered by grace. We can too. And we persevere for others, not just for our own sake. Notice as we skip down to verse 10, the apostle Paul goes on and he says, so I'm willing to put up with anything. I like that, the way that translation of the verse says it. I'm willing to put up with anything because I, I want God's special people to be saved. They will be given eternal glory because they belong to Christ Jesus. Listen, when we feel like quitting, we need to keep going for the sake of others so that others will be saved. Let me tell you, this motivates me because my kids are counting on me. My grandkids are counting on me. My wife is counting on me. My friends, my church is counting on me. Paul says in verse 2, Chapter 2, verse 2, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to reliable others who will be qualified to teach others also. This is the way it works in the church. Life is like a relay race. We do our part. We don't quit until we've handed the baton to the next runner on the team. We pass along what we've learned, one person to the next, one generation to the next. When my mother was in her 80s, she bought some tan-colored yarn and started crocheting six-inch squares. Now, some of you know more about this than I do. They're called granny squares. And she got this tan yarn. She was making these little six-inch granny squares. 
And it was really amazing because my mom was really good at this, beautiful stitching. and She did this really well, and her plan was to take these tan squares and eventually sew them together into a great big afghan. And it was amazing. My mom did so well, but her fingers, her hands in her later years were, covered, were filled with arthritis, and so it was very hard for her to do this. So she kind of lost energy and eventually stopped. After my mom died last year, we were cleaning out her things, and we found all of her yarn, her knitting needles, her crochet hooks, and all of that. And my daughter, Michelle, who's in her 30s, said, I would like those things. So we gave that all to Michelle. Just a few weeks ago on Christmas morning, my daughter, Michelle, surprised me with a unique Christmas gift. My daughter, Michelle, had taken what my mom did, the tan granny squares. There were just enough of them to make the letter F for Faust, my last name. And then Michelle added all this blue material to it and finished the afghan that her grandmother, my mother, had made. Do you know how much that afghan means to me to see something that my daughter worked on, that my own mom had started, one generation passing it on to the next, and then they give it to me, and I get to enjoy it and be warmed by it. This is what happens when we persevere. We continue the work that others before us have done, that others have carried. And let me tell you, love for other people is a powerful motivator that can cause you to do things you wouldn't do just for yourself. You know who understands this well? The families of loved ones who have special needs. Because these families have to persevere in ways that many do not understand and might not experience in their life if they don't have a loved one with special needs. That's why I'm so thankful Connection Point has a disability ministry. Did you know about this? Once a month, they have fun activities with food and fun gatherings every month for adults and children with disabilities, including family members, caregivers, and friends. If you are interested in serving or attending any of these gatherings, you can go to the Connection Point website and read about it, or you can just text the word CARE to 317-350-1996. We also, if you have kids here at church, you're going to find out soon about the Kids City Lighthouse Disability Ministry that's going to kick off next month to support and encourage kids and students with special needs. I'm so thankful for these ministries because every individual is important and families with special needs, members of their families need our encouragement and our support. We persevere not just for ourselves, we persevere for others. We keep going for others' sake. And let me tell you, Paul makes this clear, we persevere through suffering, through suffering. Now, if you expect the Christian life to be easy, and I suppose you can find preachers that will tell you it's going to be, if you expect the Christian life to be easy, you have not been reading the New Testament. Jesus was very honest with prospective followers. And he called them right up front and he said, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to tell you, you've got to deny yourself and pick up a cross and follow me. And the Apostle Paul understood that because the Apostle Paul who wrote this book had had a lot of battle scars in his life, but he had no regrets. So he tells Timothy in verse 3, join with me in suffering. Wow, there's a rallying cry for the church. Join us in suffering. Let's put that on a sign out by the highway, you know, and see how many people want to show up at Connection Point. Join us in suffering. Doesn't sound exciting, but you know what? I love that that's in the Bible because it's honest. 
It's true. Life is hard. I don't want to be part of something that's fake and sugar-coated. I want strength for the real difficulties of day-to-day life. I visited a church in Ethiopia where people know some things about suffering. And I'll never forget, I thought, what's this preacher in Ethiopia where these people suffer and and just struggle to find their daily bread? What's he going to say? What's he going to encourage them with? And I'll never forget the preacher's text to this Ethiopian congregation in a village there was from Acts chapter 14 where Paul and Barnabas revisited new churches and it says they went there and they were strengthening the disciples and encouraging them, that's good, to remain true to the faith. And then their message was, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now I love that church is a place of joy and laughter. I love that about Connection Point. We laugh a lot here, that's great. I love that there's joy here, the joy of the Lord, but we've also got to talk about the hard stuff. And so Paul was honest with Timothy. You can always count on the Bible to be honest with you about the real stuff of your life. And not only did Paul know about hardships, but Timothy was learning some things about it too. You read 1 and 2 Timothy, and you know what you find? Timothy had some physical problems. His stomach hurt. We don't know why, but evidently he had some stomach problems, physical problems. He had a tender, sensitive heart, and he was a timid kind of personality. He was shy and needed encouragement, and yet he was called to lead a church. So he knew the stress of leadership, dealing with difficult people. And so Paul says, join with me in suffering. Timothy, you're going to find out that sometimes, listen, sometimes you have to endure what you hate in order to achieve what you love. Mothers go through the pain of labor when they give birth to achieve what they love. Physicians endure grueling days in medical school before they practice medicine. Football players go through all kinds of hard knocks before they make it to the championship game. The Bible says in Hebrews 12 that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. That's the way it works. No cross, no crown. Now, here in 2 Timothy 2, Paul makes this practical by offering three kinds of examples of the kind of people who have to go through hardship. The first one is a soldier. He says, go through suffering and endure hardship like a soldier. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Now, think about it. When you enter the military... If, you're, if your drill sergeant tells you to do something, you can't say, no, I want to go over and hang out with my friends. You have given up the ability to make those choices. You have said, I'm going to do what my commanding officer wants. Now think about this. When you become a Christian, you can't be distracted by civilian affairs. You have to say, I want to please my commanding officer. That's Jesus. It's actually kind of interesting. When you enter the military, you go through a ceremony where you pledge your loyalty to your country. Well, in in the Christian faith, that's baptism, where you pledge your loyalty to Jesus. You stay in contact with the command post. That's what we call prayer. You learn to accept discomfort and even danger as part of your lifestyle. That's why we call it, when you go into the military, going into the service. And when you become a Christian, you go into the service of Jesus and his people. When you're in the military, you watch the backs of your fellow soldiers, and you never leave a fellow soldier wounded on the battlefield, and you promise you will never go AWOL away without official leave. 
Charles Colson, the founder of Prison Fellowship, devoted his life to serving Christ and ministering to people behind prison bars. And Colson's motto was, stay at your post and do your duty. Endure hardship like a soldier. And then persevere, I love this next analogy, he says, like an athlete. Paul continues in verse 5, and he says, similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown. Now, in those days, the victor's crown was the laurel wreath, you know, that they would put uh, the, the leaves that they would put on your head if you won the Olympics or that kind of thing. You don't receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Now, perseverance when it comes to athletics, makes me think of marathon runners. Have any of you run a marathon? Wow, I admire you. I ran one. I have a medal to prove it, resplendent with its yellow ribbon. I got this because I finished the Flying Pig Marathon in Cincinnati, Ohio in 2014, almost five years ago, and I finished that race. Now, the rest of the story, I'm careful how I say that. I finished the race. I didn't start the race. <laughs> Let me tell you what happened. We, <laughs> it's an interesting story. <laughs> it was, we did this, that's a big race in Cincinnati, the Flying Pig Marathon, and we were raising money for a women's dorm project at Cincinnati Christian University where I was president, so I persuaded three female students to run with me as a relay. And they all volunteered to do the first three legs of the race. Now that was good because in Cincinnati there were a lot of hills and they did all the hills. And I did the flat part down by the river. It was very scenic. I joined in when the race was already three-fourths over. And people said, but you ran the whole way, right? And I said, well, when there were spectators. <laughs> and so when there were no spectators, I would just kind of slow down, walk a little bit. And then when there were crowds of people, I'd chug along, you know. And remember, I'm running against people who've already been running like 19 miles, and I'm just getting started. So I look pretty good, hardly breaking a sweat. I laugh at myself at the perseverance I had to know it wasn't that much compared to all the other people who ran the race. But let me tell you, life in the Christian faith is like running a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And you have to hang in there for the long haul. But the victory at the end is sweet. An athlete has to practice and follow the rules and exercise self-discipline self and be a good teammate. So Paul says... Persevere like a soldier. Persevere through suffering and hardship like an athlete. And then third, persevere like a farmer. Verse 6 says, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Now, I presume we have some farmers here today. I hope so. I grew up on a farm in southern Ohio. Farming requires faith. You plant your crops in partnership with God and wait for him to provide the sunshine and the rain. Farming requires patience. You can't rush a harvest. You have to wait for the crops to grow as God provides. And farming requires hard work to plant and weed and harvest. So if you think about it, faith and patience and diligence, you don't have to be a farmer to see how these principles apply to your spiritual life. So Paul says in verse 7, reflect on what I'm saying. For the Lord will give you insight into all of this. By the way, that's just a good principle to keep in mind whenever you read the Bible. Reflect on it, pray about it, ponder it, think about it. We persevere by grace for others through suffering. And most important, we persevere with Jesus. With Jesus. Look again at the verses we read 
earlier at the beginning of this message. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we'll also reign with him. What struck me was, as I read those verses and thought about them, was the phrase with him that's used three times in that one verse. We died with him. We'll also live with him. We endure and we'll reign with him. We don't have to persevere alone. We always do it with Jesus. Read the first few verses of Romans chapter 6. It talks about how when you're baptized, you're buried with him in baptism. You're raised up to new life with him. That's why Paul says here in verse 8, 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. I love that. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, Paul says. So he's in chains for doing the right thing. But I love that last little part of the verse where he says, but God's word is not chained. Whatever restraints I have, however I feel stuck, whatever is happening to me, the circumstances I don't like, God's word is still powerful and free to do its liberating work in me and anybody who will hear it. So remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus who's risen from the dead and who after his resurrection told his disciples, I am with you always even to the end of the world. That means even to the end of your world and even to the end of your rope. And so on the best day of your life when you are celebrating and you are happy and you are having fun, Jesus is with you then. And on the worst day of your life when you are miserable and you feel like it's all been worthless and there's no point to going on, Jesus is with you then. Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead. Hebrews 13.5, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Persevere through suffering with Jesus. That means we don't just pray for our problems to go away. We pray that in the midst of our problems, we will experience God's presence there. I was talking with a friend recently, and I misunderstood something he said, and we both kind of chuckled. It was actually kind of funny the way I misunderstood him. I just didn't hear, didn't hear him right. <laughs> I thought I heard my younger friend, he's a young dad, and I thought I heard him say, I want my kids to be worriers. I said, what kind of dad wants his kids to worry, you know? You want your kids to be worriers? And then I realized I didn't hear him right. What he said was, I want my kids to be warriors. Warriors. I heard him wrong. But I got to thinking about that, and later I shared this with my friend. I said, actually, that made a great point because it makes me ask myself this question, and I ask you this question today. Are you a worrier or are you a warrior? Which are you? You know, nowadays, the easy thing is to just become a worrier. Man, there's so much to worry about. So which are you? I'll tell you which one the Apostle Paul was. At the end of his life, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. So let me ask you, straight up, in the battle for truth, are you in or are you out? Will you faint or will you fight? When the Lord calls you to action, will you dive in or will you bail out? The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. But in the news, in our daily experience, that's all we hear about, all the flesh and blood stuff. Hollywood celebrities and what they're doing and saying. 
political squabbles in Washington, D.C., the economy and all the problems, and we worry about that. But what we've got to remember as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that on a deeper level, there is a spiritual battle going on. Satan is trying to deceive us, divide us, and destroy God's work. Now, we need to choose our battles carefully and wisely. I'm not talking about being the kind of person who's always picking a fight over every little thing. In fact, the Apostle Paul here in 2 Timothy 2.23, I love the way he warns Timothy, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. That's good advice for us on social media. <laughs> you know, don't just pick fights over stupid little things that don't matter. But in the things that really do matter, let me challenge you folks, we need to join the battle. I will fight for my kids and my grandkids. I want to be part of a church that will fight for the next generation that will pray for them and love them and guide them in the ways of the Lord. I love the way Nehemiah put it in Nehemiah 4.14. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. We will do that. We will fight for people who are far from God. We will fight for the one lost sheep who needs to be brought back to the flock of God. We will fight for unborn babies and for fatherless children. We will fight for widows and the elderly who need somebody to care for them and love them and remind them that they are important. We will serve the hungry people, the oppressed people, the overlooked people. That's God's calling on our lives to still be in that fight. We will not grow weary in well-doing. We will defend our faith. world is going nuts, it seems. But we will stand up for what we believe and explain why we believe with gentleness and respect. We will fight for biblical truth in the shifting sands of culture, God, and his word, our bedrocks that remain constant and unchanging. We will fight for the unity of God's church. We will not let Satan divide us or distract us from our mission of helping people know the love of Jesus Christ. We will fight for hope. We cannot become cynical and pessimistic. Jesus rose from the dead. Paul says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. If he's already defeated death and gone to prepare a place for us, we are assured of victory. We've got to stay in the battle. A prophet of Israel told the people long ago, I love this, 2 Chronicles 20, 15. This is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. There is a lot to be concerned about in today's world. Will you be a worrier just wringing your hands, or will you be a warrior joining the fight for what is right? Persevere. Don't give up. Persevere by grace for others through suffering with Jesus. At Cincinnati Christian University, we had a professor named Ron Henderson. He was a gentle soul, an English teacher, smart man, very physically active. He would walk the neighborhoods and walk the campus. And one of the things he did was he, if he saw a, a coin that had fallen on the ground, he would pick it up and put it in a jar. At the end of the year, he would count up how much money he'd collected, physically fit. And he had a keen mind a great memory. 
And one of the things that Mr. Henderson did that I loved was at uh, the new student orientation in August when all the freshmen would move in, he would memorize all their names. Now, this is no small task. And he would get their photos, and he would just kind of walk around campus, and he would put a name with a face. And on the last night of freshman orientation, when these nervous freshmen were getting ready to start their classes the next day, we'd have the whole freshman class stand up at this college. Uh, that would be at least 200 students, a little more. And they would all stand up, and he would walk around and call them by name, and then they would sit down. He called him by name and they would sit down until he had sat down the whole room because he named every single student by name. It was an amazing feat of memory. I struggle to remember names, you know, but Mr. Henderson was great at that. And I loved the way he did that because it showed that at our school, people cared about these students as individuals, cared about them as a person. Well, that was years ago. And recently I learned that Mr. Henderson is now under hospice care. And so I called his wife, Jerry, to tell her that I loved them and I have fond memories of them and to encourage her and tell her I was praying for them. And she said, you know, Ron, he used to walk every day, but now he's bedridden and he can't get up. I said, well, that's sad. And oh, even sadder, this man who used to amaze us with his remarkable memory is now losing his ability to recall things. It was sad. As we talked, I said, Jerry... You know, God has not forgotten you and has not forgotten Ron. She said, I know. She said, now we just live for those promises of Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that, you know, uh, the, 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 the things that we go through are nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory that's ahead of us. She, she was encouraging me. And she said, there was a plaque that they put above Ron's bed. It quotes from Isaiah 40, 31, the verse that says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. A student had given Mr. Henderson that plaque with that verse. They hang it above his bed. And she said, when he says, I want to walk, and she knows he can't, she says, Ron, you will just not hear up there just not here, up there. And I want to tell you, if you are struggling today, if you have come to church this morning and you're just about at the end of your rope, if you can't face the road of your life with more potholes, I want to challenge and encourage you to hang in there and persevere by grace for others through suffering with Jesus. Do not give up because the day is going to come, whether it's down here or up there, that you will soar. You will soar, and you will run, and you will walk, and you will not get tired anymore. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we love you. We are thankful for the grace that you give us to keep going when it's hard and we feel like quitting. Lord, I pray this morning specifically for that person or that couple or that family who may feel like they're just about at the end of what they can take. Please, Lord, give them your sustaining strength and energy through your Holy Spirit. Put others around them, Lord, to encourage them. Build them up in their lonely moments. Remind them of your presence. Help us, God, to persevere. Help us to stay strong. Help us to keep fighting the good fight. Help us to finish the race.
Help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, we come now to what's really the most important part of our worship time together, and that is the Lord's Supper, the communion. As the servers come, we ask you to take the bread and the cup and please hold them because we're going to do in these next few moments just what the Apostle Paul told us to do. Remember, he said, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. We remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We remember that he's alive. We can have communion with him. And so in these moments, this is a time for us individually and personally, privately, just to examine ourselves have time for quiet prayer with the Lord, just you and the Lord. But it's also something we do together as a family. It's brothers and sisters in Christ, and there are people who believe in Jesus all over the world joining us in this holy feast. So take the bread and take the cup and please hold them. And then once everyone has been served, one of the elders will come and lead us as we partake together.